The Old Testament reading this morning is from Ezekiel, one of the three major prophets. Looking at the dates in the book, Ezekiel was 25 when he went into exile in Babylon with the first deportation from Israel after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire in 587 BC. He was 30 when he received his prophetic calling and 52 at the time of his last vision in 571 BC. The book has a reputation for strangeness, mainly because of the unearthly visions contained in it, especially at the beginning of the book and at the end. It would also be fair to say that it is not an easy read, nor indeed a very pleasant one. Written as a response to the fall of Jerusalem and taking great delight in finding ways to blame the Judeans for their own downfall. For they had been tempting fate for generations, ignoring God's previous messages through Micah, Amos and Isaiah, who all warned that if they didn't listen to God, they would be destroyed. Ezekiel portrays God in what can only be described by us as awesome grandeur. Two words that I don't think we can use today about anyone else. Awesome grandeur. A God above and beyond our world. Yet this supernatural God was inescapably near and real. He demanded complete obedience. Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Daniel were contemporaries, all 6th century prophets. They were calling the people of Israel to repentance and the return to a right relationship with God. Jeremiah was prophesying in the southern kingdom of Judah, an area south of Jerusalem. Daniel in the Babylonian court and Ezekiel to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. He became God's mouthpiece, his messenger, as a captive. But his voice blended in stereo with Jeremiah's, still in Jerusalem. Both prophets warned their people, who had continued to ignore them, that they should stop trying to plot their freedom from the Babylonians, because they were going to be captives in Babylon for a very, very long time. <coughs> Both prophesied that Babylon's oppression would grow heavier and that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. And since Judah had ignored God's repeated warnings, God decides to get their attention another way, by suffering. Yet even while punishing them, God's own aim remained the same to make himself known. His one simple and stark message to them when promising the destruction of Jerusalem being, then they will know I am the Lord. Ezekiel himself repeats this message over 60 times. I'm sure it's over 60, I lost count about then. And God says it again after Jerusalem had fallen when promising them a different future. 
God did not want to remain vague or far off. He wanted his people to know him. Ezekiel's God wanted to live with his people, not just making his home in the centre of their city, but in their hearts, wherever they were, and especially during captivity. This God could not be locked in by national or geographical boxes. This God ruled the earth. There would be a new Jerusalem arising from the ruins of the old. The renewed city would never die, for it would be built on an unshifting reality. They will know I am the Lord, God says, again and again. This passage today looks a lot like God's loving plans for the restoration of Israel and God's personal care in returning the exiles back to their ancestral land and resettling them there. Let's not be fooled, for this image of restoration here in Ezekiel does not cover up the divine wrath that these dispatched people will face, nor hide the streams of despair that they will fill. Not once in the book of Ezekiel, including this very passage, does God act out of love for Israel. God shows pity, but not love. He will remove their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. This probably refers to or involves an Egyptian custom. The Babylonians had defeated the Egyptians, but obviously everyone knew about mummification. And when the Egyptians mummified a body, the first thing they did was to remove the heart. And the heart would be weighed on scales against a feather. And if the heart was very heavy, it was not fit to go on the journey of death to that holy place with the gods. Instead, it would be thrown to the animals. Ezekiel's reference to a heart of stone is yet another picture of the Judeans' pattern of sinful behavior. This is a heart weighed down by sin, as heavy as stone. It is the heart of people who are worshiping idols and not the living God. The heart of people who are beginning to settle into captivity who are beginning to enjoy what the Babylonians have to offer. Ezekiel realized that Israel needed more than a fresh heart, or I should say a fresh start. To avoid making the same mistakes all over again, they needed a different attitude. Without this, their behavior could not change. Their motivation had to be different. They had to change. He depicts restoration as a kind of resurrection of the dead. Their stony hearts will be replaced by hearts of flesh, by the infusion of God's divine spirit. It's a wonderful picture of divine grace, but definitely cheap grace it is not. For the heart transplant at the centre of this passage does not leave their hearts unbound separated from God, to act as they will. Oh no, 
the new heart they will receive is tied to covenant loyalty and a renewed relationship with God, this time based on one of obedience. This is all about God. And two statements remind us of this very clearly. The first time in verse 23, just prior to the reading this morning, when God states the motivation for his restoration of the people of Israel, then the nations will know I am the Lord. There are no heavenly tears shed or expressed remorse for this dead nation. For dead it is to God. Their restoration is simply a sign to the world that God can do anything. This is made clear in verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And just in case the reader misses God's motivation, it says in verse 32, I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake declares the Sovereign Lord. It's quite interesting, isn't it? We are being faced here with a very explicit post-Easter message, one that is not all gentleness and kindness. The lectionary has given us a reading today to remind us that the Easter message is actually not all about us. It is about God and what God has chosen to do. And can we live in the reality of this without questioning the state of our own hearts? Our hearts are quite fickle, aren't they? Maybe the state of one's heart can be synonymous with one's attitude, how we look at things, how we're relating to other people, to be constant in anything is exhausting, and I certainly wouldn't mind an infusion of new spirit to spur me on. For a new heart and new spirit is the promise of spiritual regeneration, new growth, some helpful resuscitation, causing us to turn to the Lord anew, with a refreshed desire to please and be enabled to do the things that we just cannot do without the Holy Spirit. Jesus may have had this passage in mind when he spoke to Nicodemus that one night in Jerusalem, when he said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The reminder is here for us. You will be my people and I will be your God. Amen.